Greetings, everybody. It's a great blessing for me to come to you today and to bring you the gospel of God's grace. Just the message of how God has come to bring life to everybody. I would like to welcome everybody that is slotted in for the very first time, as well as our faithful viewers. Thank you that I can serve you again with the message of His grace. One thing that I can assure you, and that is the vision that I have, is that in these messages we are forgetting what is behind us and we're looking towards uh, that which Christ has brought to us, wherein we are not finding our life in our own righteousness, but in His righteousness, which is the faithfulness wherewith He is keeping to the promise that He's promised from the beginning. Now, you can rewind that and listen to that again. There's some great truth in what I've just said there. Know this, it's about the faithfulness of God towards us. And this is what this broadcast is all about and every message that we bring. It is about God's faithfulness expressed in Jesus Christ, wherein the promise that God has made to us from before the world began, which is that He will bring His life to us, that that is manifesting. And it's all about that. And not about what we need to do to try and uh, combat death and combat sin, but it's about what God has done to bring us life and holiness as a free gift. <laughs> Glory to God. Now, as we start the service, let us just pray together. Father, I want to thank you so much for your love and your grace. Thank you so much for the goodness that you have towards us. Thank you that we can sit here today and we can celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the greatest event in history, the power of God, showing forth and uh, put on display where we can see where all of us will end up in the resurrection, in a, in a glory which has got no beginning and no end from where we will then rule and reign with you in the life that you have given us. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you speak powerful, powerfully through me today and encourage your church. Amen and amen. Well, glory to God. Today we are specifically thinking of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that the grave is empty and that there is a man seated at the right hand of God who has authority over all powers, over all principalities, over all forms of darkness, and that we are that which he has inherited and he is bringing his life into his inheritance. All authority has been given unto Jesus. All power has been given unto Jesus. And he is our Lord. The Father has given him unto us and us unto him for the purpose that he will bring forth who the Father is and what eternal life is in us by his authority and by his power. And that is what we can rest in. <laughs> Glory to God. The resurrection of Jesus Christ, according to the way I read the Bible, is the greatest event in history. There's just simply nothing greater than that. If we think of massive events in history, we can think of a lot of things. You know, we can think of recent history, things that has, that has happened, the ending of apartheid, for instance, or when we think of the Second World War, the ending of the First and Second World Wars, we can look at many things in history and great things that has happened in history, which we can meditate upon, which can um, give us a lot of food for thought. And I would think if we go back in history and we go to creation itself, the day God created the heavens and the earth, and he spoke and things came forth. Um, you might be a believer in uh, evolution or in uh, the just the normal creation, theory of creation, doesn't matter. Uh, thinking of God creating the heaven and the earth, out of nothing, God spoke and it came forth. And it might just be, like some people say, it's just in one one massive big bang and then things formed from that, or it could be just in one day, uh, I don't want to have that debate now, but what it is about is God made everything that you see. Everything that is formed, that you can physically touch, comes from what is not seen, the Bible says. God brought it forth. That is a major event. Think of that. Now, if you think of how big that is, you think of 
at the creation of man itself, when God blew the breath of life into Adam, one might argue that is even greater than the creation of this natural world. And then we go on and we look at how God saved Noah, how God saved the Israelites, the opening of the Red Sea, a pillar of fire at night, a, a cloud in the day, the mountain shaking. There were some serious events that took place in this world. Um, the walls of Jericho, think of all of that. There were, there were some serious things that happened. And then I think what can be very great, and some can argue it's, it is the greatest event, is when Jesus Christ was born. Mary conceived supernaturally. The, the virgin was pregnant and gave birth to the Son of God. I mean, that is something that the heavens burst open and the angels came and started to sing and said, Glory to God, uh, you know, in the highest peace on earth, goodwill uh, towards all people. Isn't that amazing? I mean, that, that must have been something. You know, when those shepherds saw those angels and Jesus was born and, you know, the Messiah and all of that. I mean, that must have been really something. But I believe there is nothing that can top the resurrection of Jesus Christ. When the grave was left empty and a man stood up out of the dead, where in his birth, his physical birth, he doesn't owe that to his mother. But his physical birth, his body, is born from God himself. It's, it's got nothing to do with the natural life that we have in our bodies. But our bodies, or the body of Jesus, recreated, wherein every cell of his body is alive on account of the life of God. No oxygen needed, no food needed. Um, you don't need to breathe to live. You are alive, or Jesus is alive, on account of the very life of God, where he can not be tempted, he cannot sin, he cannot die. Uh, a human wherein the fullness of the Godhead dwells bodily. Now that is some serious event. The Bible says the earth shook, the um, after his resurrection, the graves opened and some saints that was dead for a long time came out and preached the gospel. I mean, that is a serious event. And I think that, and the way, reason I say that is the greatest event is, that is what God has dreamt from the beginning. All of creation, everything was building up to what we now call the new creation. But the way I see it, if we look at it from God's perspective, it is the real, true creation, what he was creating from the beginning until now, what he had dreamt, what he had in mind from the beginning. Like Adam. Uh, Adam was at a place when he was in the Garden of Eden when God told him, listen, Adam, don't eat of this tree or certain tree because then you can die. And Adam was also naked. Uh, nakedness uh, means that he was not clothed with eternal life. Uh, the scripture also says in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul clearly says that the first man, Adam, this is before he sinned, was of the earth and he was earthy. But the second man is from heaven, heavenly. Now he's talking about the resurrected Christ. He is the heavenly man, which is not of the earth, but the whole man, the physical man is from heaven. Isn't that absolutely Powerful, yet he has he's been made from certain things in this world. There's a connection between his physical body that was on the earth and the glorified body. This, this second body, if you want to call it like that, uh, owes its full existence to the Father and only the Father. Uh, that is beautiful. So when we look at Adam in the beginning, he was still at a place where he could be tempted and die. But the last man, Jesus, this guy cannot be tempted. He cannot die. Uh, when he was on earth after his birth from Mary, finally was led into the desert by the Holy Spirit and he was tempted of the devil. But now, where he is now, he cannot be tempted. He cannot sin. He cannot die. Uh, he, he, he is the fullness of the Godhead bodily. 
And that is the true creation that God had in mind. That is what God was dreaming when Jesus was raised. And then I want to go now even further. The reason why God had that in mind was for a greater purpose, which is to bring us to the fullness of Him. Isn't that beautiful? All of this for one thing, and that is that we can co-experience who and what God is. God brought forth a man in the middle of time, if we can call, call that, or there's a better way uh, to mention that, not the middle of time, but the fullness of time. Taking all of time together in one event, the fullness of time. God came in the fullness of time, and he brought forth Jesus, and he was raised from the dead. And when he was raised from the dead, in that fullness of time, everything that we can expect is now under the rulership of this man, Christ, who's got the power over all sin and over all death, whose job it is to bring us to the fullness of what he is. And then we can simply just rest in that and see how he brings that forth. <laughs> Glory to God. That is absolute good news. So to me, the greatest event is the resurrection. I think according to Paul, if you must have asked him, Paul, what is the greatest thing that you've ever experienced in ministry? What do you think would he say? He would say, when I saw Jesus on the way to Damascus, glory to God, that changed my life. I went from persecuting the church to being willing to die to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. For I saw uh, Jesus, he, he was revealed. Paul calls that a revelation. He was revealed. One of the words for revealed means to uncover, to take the sheet off, to see what it truly is. Another word for that is uh, 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 revealing, or the Greek, Greek word for that is apocalypsis, which means the revealing of all things, where we will end up in what things will look like in the end, was revealed to Paul in the resurrected Jesus. So when you look at the resurrected Christ, if you go and study 2 Corinthians 4, and you look at the glory of God shining in the face of Jesus, um, what it means is we are seeing the eternal life of God in the human Jesus. And this knowledge that God has brought a man to his glory and that he's appointed him as the one that will bring the righteousness of God into this world. That revelation is inside us. Although it is inside an earthen vessel, we know that as we are beholding the glory of God in the face of Jesus, the, the resurrection of Jesus, the eternal life of the man Christ, we are transformed into the very same image as by the Spirit of Christ himself. Isn't that absolutely powerful? Glory to God. That puts, it at a it puts us at a place where we don't have to try and stop to sin, where we don't have to try and produce life, but where we can see how God shares his life and brings it forth in us. Now, um, today I want to go to Ephesians chapter 1, and I want to look a little bit at the bride of Christ and I want to look at the righteousness of God and us being his fullness. Now I want to just talk a little bit about atonement and the atonement theory that I ascribe to and um, that I believe is the truth. You know there are many different theories of atonement and earlier this week I spoke about that and I made a message uh, speaking about the shedding of blood. Why the shedding of blood? I took that message and I advertised it on Facebook and a lot of people responded to that message. Um, and a lot of people said harsh things, not listening to the message. One of the things that people would say is, you know, you are just a lot of vampires. Uh, people would say things like, this is absolute rubbish. And people would swear and whatever about this blood-hungry God. Just the title, why did God need blood or why blood that's what it was and I mean people were just against it a lot of them and a lot of them was for it much more for it uh, but what I saw was that which I am against and that is this concept that God is a blood hungry God 
God is not this bloodthirsty God. We're not busy with a butchery here. We're not busy with butchery theology, wherein God is such a righteous God that when Adam sinned, nothing could be just but to punish uh, and consume with fire and destroy man utterly. Wherein Adam sinned and God said, well, I find it just to punish uh, not just Adam, but all of his descendants with death. But since that is a righteous thing, I'm somehow going to work it out and then punish one man who has no sin. And then it's going to weigh this thing out and we're going to just find this traditional penal substitutionary atonement theory, wherein it is about whether, whether the justice is punitive, somebody needs to be punished, which doesn't really make sense. It doesn't make sense because if... Uh, if Jesus had to go to hell for us, burning a fire in hell for us, uh, why, if, if, if the punishment would be eternal burning in hell forever, if you don't believe in God, how can Jesus only burn for three days? I mean, that's not fair. I mean, eternal burning in a fire is eternal. How can he just burn for a time? And that is now enough. And how would we determine what is enough? Uh, it, it, it just doesn't make sense. It's not a really thought-through theology. And earlier this week, I, I tried to explain why blood was needed. Blood wasn't needed as pertaining to God needed some red blood to flow. That is not what it was all about. Uh, the Bible says that life is in the blood. And what that means is that somebody had to come and save man from death. And in the way he would save man from death is by giving his life, which I want to explain. I've explained it earlier, this way, uh, earlier this week this way. Maybe you've missed that video. So let me just explain that um, just quickly. Let's say most people in our town has contracted the COVID-19 virus. But I know that my son has got a very strong immune system and uh, both of us are very concerned about the well-being of people and we are seeing that man this town is going to die out we're going to have no neighbors everybody's going to die we need to do something and from a compassion a deep love for these people i come and i say to my son you know what we need we need uh the, we can see that these people cannot produce antibodies to the COVID-19 virus themselves. They don't have the strength in their own flesh to produce the antibodies. So um, we need antibodies. So what we can do is, if you can go and visit some of them and live amongst them and contract the virus and then get healed from that, then from you we can take plasma which contains these antibodies and then we can give that to the people and it can heal them and it can offer them basically then your life, which is a life that is stronger than the COVID-19. Now, um, in the very same way, I believe God gave his son. I know it's, I'm, I'm sharing with you just in the power of an analogy, but I believe that this can help you to see that it was not about a blood hungry God. If I tell my son, and I'm going to get into this now deeper, but um, just let's just go back a little bit. If I tell my son, listen, why don't you go and, and do this? Uh, or if, if we talk about this and the son offers and says, I will go and do this. It is not me demanding him to die. It's not that I'm even in need of his death <clears throat> or of his health being in jeopardy. I, I'm not needing that. It is people needing that. People need life. They need somebody to bring them life. That is what this is all about. So when we think of God and we think of the blood of Jesus that flowed, we cannot go and think, oh, well, God needed blood to flow. And when the blood of Jesus flowed and he was dying there and God was angry and then as the blood flowed out of him, as he was hanging upon that cross, shouting his lot, lost and saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the father says, this, there's nothing this is, this is perfectly right. This is how it should be. 
this is right. Now I feel man has sinned and uh, um, as I punish this and see pain inflicted and all of this come, I feel justified uh, This is or, or justice is being done. And there's just something very wrong with that. That is why if you go like on my page, some of you can go there on, on Dynamic Love Ministries uh, Facebook page, you can go and see what people wrote there in my latest post uh, and the video. Without watching the video, obviously those people never watch the video. They just straight out come. This is a blood-hungry God. What's wrong with this God? I cannot serve this God. This is a vampire. You're going on like that. And I can understand why they would say that. It just doesn't make sense. Anybody that thinks of it, it doesn't make sense. But if we can realize that God had eternal life and that what he, what he came to do is he basically saw that man has contracted death. They started to live under the rule and the power of death. And what he then did was he came to the earth and he took death on himself and then conquered physical death. And then now put a man there that is greater than death, that has power over death, and he has given him as the, and his life to us to produce because he is wise on how to conquer sin. He's wise. He knows how to do that. And now he's given unto us so that we don't have to try and produce our own antibodies against death and against um, sin and all those kind of things, but that we can find that we are injected with his life. Now, I believe, and this is the way I see it. Some people can disagree with me, but I believe Jesus was physically raised. I also believe that when you believe upon him, the Spirit of Christ, and when I refer to the Spirit of Christ, I talk about the Holy Spirit that is inside Jesus, which is the source of his bodily life, the Spirit of the resurrected Christ, the Spirit of the man, Jesus Christ, the life of him. Now, let me define that. The life of him would be the life that has, in the physical, conquered physical death and everything that leads unto that. When you believe in him, when you trust and when you know that he is the Lord, you, your physical body is and you willingly place yourself under the rulership of his power and you don't stand as his enemy, but you stand as the one that receives that. Something physically happens to you. The Spirit of God starts to uh, what Paul calls, he comes and he mortifies or he kills the deeds of the flesh. There's healing coming to our flesh. The Bible says the word is he health to all my flesh. We've always used that as a scripture to get somebody healed from uh, sinusitis or healed from a headache or heart problem or cancer or something like that. Now, when he talks about the healing of the flesh, I think what that scripture means is that he's healing our flesh from being under the power of death. When you take uh, plasma and you inject it into somebody, I don't know exactly how the doctors do it, but when they do that, they will, you will find that that person, when those antibodies enter into his, his body and it starts to do its work, you will find that person starts to look better. It, the fever goes down, he's not coughing, he's not vomiting, diarrhea stops, he's starting to feel better. And the first signs of the life the person has from which this plasma was taken, that very life of that person is now starting to show in the other one. In the very same way, Jesus comes through his spirit and he gives his life as the antibody to the death that we have. And as this physical life of Jesus, the, the life that is in his physical body, starts to give life to our physical body, we find that and this is the way I see it. And the neuron paths in our brain start to change. The way we think start to change. Our logic start to change. And on account of that change that takes place physically, because of the physical resurrected Jesus in us, there's, we start to see the first signs of the antibodies working. And that is called love and peace and kindness, and goodness, and all those kind of things. So we find the resurrected Christ is coming to wash us 
with his resurrection power bringing forth the life in us <laughs> glory to god amen that is well to me that is absolute good news um let us go to ephesians and we're going to read ephesians 1 verse 15 just looking at this resurrection so again let us just summarize the resurrection is the greatest event in history that, that's just the way i see it i'm just sharing from my heart here the resurrection of Jesus is the greatest event in history. That is what God has planned from where his bigger plan, which is us attaining eternal life, from where it flows. Jesus was raised from the dead and or Jesus died, not because God was blood hungry, not because he wanted to punish, but because God entered what was man's problem and our problem was physical death. Our problem is mortality. You think, you see, we think that our problem was we don't obey the law. That is not the problem. The problem is we are mortal. That is the problem. And God has come to, uh, to, to, to conquer mortality. And the way wherein when he was born, the only way he could conquer mortality is he had to enter into death. And when he entered into death, he gave his life. His blood flowed. That is another way of blood. It's just life. He gave his life. Uh, th that's what it was all about. And then when he was raised from the dead, he was raised in a glorified body. So he gave his life. That's what it basically was. And, and as he was raised up, he's conquered death. And now he is, according to Hebrews, I don't have time to go into that. He is a merciful high priest knowing how to secure us who are mortal and give us eternal life. That is what it's all about. Healing our flesh from mortality. Now, I want to tell you this knowledge of what I've just shared with you. We all have that knowledge in an earthen vessel. We are not seeing the fullness of that manifest yet. But let me tell you something. We, as we have believed in that, are the sons of God. We already have our lives born from God. And some might say, but well, if that is true, you'll be immortal now. Listen, to me, that might, I mean, when a person say that, I can understand why they say that. But it's not up to me to show my sonship. It's up to God to manifest who I am. And I am patiently waiting. I know from my heart, I'm already crying, Abba, Father. I'm already calling God Father. Why? Because I see him as the father of the fruit that is coming forth in my life effortlessly by his doing. If I look at my life over the years and what has happened, what has taken place, what is brought forth, I know God is the father of this. It's not the law that I'm trying to obey. I'm not trying to do good works uh, by obeying laws. It is the nature of God, the divine nature that I'm partaking in through precious promises being fulfilled by God, according to Peter. That is what we are, what I'm starting to experience. And I, call, I already call him father, but, and this is the point I want to make, God will manifest me and you and your children and those who believe in Christ as his sons in the resurrection. Glory to God. And we will be fully manifested as sons or shown as born from God and not our natural parents. Born from God, glorified by God as Jesus was in the resurrection. And that is, the, 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 that is why he died and he was raised. Wasn't the blood hungry God that needed punishment and all those kind of things? Listen, if that is what you believe, I want to tell you, um, ask God to help you to be set free from that. Or ask God to, <laughs> best way I would say, God, show me the truth. Show me the truth. You know, just intuitively, there's something wrong with this punishment thing. God needing blood and all of that. You know there's something wrong with that in the depth of your heart. The whole world knows there's something wrong with that, but there's nothing wrong with somebody laying down his life to help somebody else. There's nothing wrong with that. We all see that as greatness. We all, we call people that have laid down their lives for other people that they can live heroes. We give them badges and most of the people that get those kind of badges aren't alive because they literally died to help other people. And we make of that something big and heroic and all of that. But that is truly what Christ has done. But tradition and the law has defined it in the wrong way. Now, Paul was very serious about the resurrection. And um, he basically said that he counts everything but done. That he may attain unto the resurrection of Jesus. So what he was saying is he, did, he doesn't want to mix his... Um, the relationship with God and his standing in front of God 
with the law because the righteousness of the law can be described as the as producing your own antibodies to death and sin wherein you try to be good it be it would be equivalent to going to somebody that's got the COVID-19 virus in the hospital and telling him giving him lessons in how not to cough uh, doesn't matter how much he keeps the cough in the virus is still there and that is what Paul is basically saying I don't want to have my own righteousness I don't want to teach myself by behavior modification <clears throat> to act like somebody who has life I want to be found in his righteousness when we talk about to be found in his righteousness we're talking about being found in his faithfulness to fulfill the promise of eternal life which was from the beginning he says I want to be found in that that I may be grabbed that I may grab a hold of that for the purpose of which Christ has grabbed a hold of me which is eternal life and then he says what it is if I may attain unto the resurrection of the dead so we basically find Paul we can if, if you carefully read that there's an underlying fear there I don't want to mix with the law because I want to attain unto the resurrection of the dead what he was saying is if I mix myself too much with this law thing I'm going to bear the fruit of the law that's what he says in Romans uh, in uh, Galatians 5 he says if you as the church go back to the law you will bear the fruit of the flesh which is that which leads unto death but if you through the spirit meaning believing in the spirit of the one that gave Christ life which is now poured out on you which I've explained the first part of this message if you mortify the deeds of the flesh meaning that spirit gives life now to you you will have love joy peace long-suffering and all those kind of things and the end of that that is attaining unto the resurrection of Christ which is eternal life that is what Paul is so serious about this and I want to say to you that when I last night Lilian and I we were talking about this resurrection message I wanted to go to bed at 10 but I couldn't I think I went to bed at 12 <laughs> 12 30 because I can just see how this is consuming me it's consuming my every thought it is consuming my life It's consuming my body I I feel how this lives th this truth lives in me and how I'm living from it I can uh, I'm, I'm talking about having the being mindful of the Christ and then starting to have the life of God manifesting as calling Abba Father from the fruit of the spirit that is starting to show because of him I, I want to just say to you if some of you are getting tired of me preaching on the resurrection man um, I'm sorry I'm not going to change I'm going to continue to preach this and live from this this is the gospel there is no other this is the gospel I almost want to go so far is if this is not the gospel then the Bible is wrong because this is what the Bible says the Bible teaches this message this is what I'm teaching to you is what Paul taught this is it there's nothing more this is it it is the kingdom of God coming to this earth and bringing forth his life and in the end eternal life the heavens has received according to Peter him for the for a time but he will return and we will see the full restoration of all things we will see all things we will see that and this is the message uh, I, I want to say it like this I'm not saying the Bible is wrong I'm saying that I believe this message of the resurrection is the Bible's message if this is wrong then the Bible is wrong now don't say things that I'm not saying but just go and think about that let us go to um, Ephesians here I'm going to read Ephesians 1 15 um, let me just get the right translation here I've got the literal uh, here it is wherefore I also after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints cease not to give thanks to you making mention of you in my prayers that the God 
of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Now, now just let, let us just, we can easily read that and it becomes like a paraphrase thing, but let's just read what's, what is said there. It says, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, the one that glorified Jesus in raising him from the dead, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. So what he wants us to see here, church, is that we need to, uh, uh, have, we, we need to have wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. So he says, I pray that God gives you wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, which Paul calls in 2 Corinthians the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of a man. So what he's saying is, I want your wisdom in this world. I want what you know about yourself, your future and everything to be inside the knowledge that Jesus was raised. That is what he's saying. And he calls that knowledge in verse 18 there, um, he calls that in, in verse 18, as you see there, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, meaning that should this not be the case, that your, your understanding is darkened. So not understanding everything from the perspective of the resurrection means you're still walking in darkness in, as pertaining to your understanding. You might have uh, experienced salvation, Jesus, your Lord, and you, you got what we would traditionally call being born again, but your understanding is still darkened. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling and that you and what is the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. So let us just look at that. What is he saying there? He is saying, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what must we know? So he wants our understanding to be enlightened. Why? That we may know what is the hope of his calling. So he says, I want you, your minds to be enlightened. I want you to understand everything in the light of the resurrection of Jesus. So that you can know what hope there is for you. And we know our hope is this very same resurrection. Glory to God know what is the hope of his calling he has called us unto what unto glory what is the glory the resurrection what is this resurrection having our bodies uh, washed with the power of God that raised Christ from the dead and so we have the life of God bodily in us that's what he's talking about that's what Paul is saying here and what the riches of the glory of uh, sorry uh, what, what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints is and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe according to working of his mighty power now let us go through this again first thing there is i want you to be enlightened i want you to understand what is the riches, what is the hope? The second thing is, and what is the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? Now, that is a very difficult way of saying, basically, what fruit you can expect because he inherited a better name when he was raised from the dead than any angel. Now, I don't have time to link that to Hebrews and 2 and Hebrews 5, explain to you what is going on there. But, that is just, like I said, another way of saying, I want you to know that you can have the hope of the resurrection and not just the hope of being resurrected one day. I also want you to know what is the riches of the glory. Glory means a view, an opinion, or a word that is spoken about you. I mean, what is the glory of Tiger Woods? How good he can play golf. Uh, what, is, what is the glory of a, a race driver? It is how good he can drive a car. So what is the glory of, or the message that can go out about the inheritance that Jesus has, which is now in those that believe him. It is the fruit of the Spirit. It is love, joy, peace, and all those things. So he's saying, I want you to judge everything in the light of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and have all knowledge from that perspective so that you can know what you, what you can expect in the last day and that you can know 
what you can expect now as pertaining to the fruit that is in your life. And then verse 19 there, and I want you to know what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us word who believe. Let us read that together. And what is the exceeding, verse 19 here, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us would who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at the right, um, on his own right hand in heavenly places, far above all principalities and powers and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but in that which is to come. And he has put all things under his feet and gave to him to be the head of all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that fills all in all. Now, my goodness, man, that is when you read that and you've got understanding of what Paul is saying there, it is like, uh, 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 man, it feels as if you are starting to swell. <laughs> you are starting to see the, the gospel and what Paul was dreaming for people here. And I want to say to you today, my prayer is that you may understand everything from the light of the resurrection. My prayer is that you will see what is the hope that you can have because of this resurrection. My prayer is that you will see uh, what fruit you can expect today on account of this resurrection. Plus, I want you to know that the manifestation of this fruit is in accordance to the mighty power that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Not willpower, my friend. It is the resurrection power of God hallelujah and then he goes on here in verse 21 and this is so beautiful uh, uh, from verse 20 he says he raised him up and he put him above all powers and principalities what that means is the power that works in us on account of the resurrection there's no power and no force that will be able to withstand what God does in you through the power of the resurrection you can be set free from anything that binds you doesn't matter what it is you can be set free that's what he's saying. And he goes on and he says here, and he has put all things under his feet and he gave him to be the head over all to the church. Now, let me explain that. He's talking married, marital language there. Um, I discovered this just the other day. He's talking marital language. He says, he took him who is above all things and head over all things and he gave him to the church. Then he goes on in verse 23, which is his body. And now we quickly jump to chapter 5. Wives, submit yourselves unto your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. And he is the savior of the body. Glory to God. <laughs> he gave himself who is the head over all power and all principality who's got the power of all life who can conquer all everything that could ever be uh, that, that's contrary to life he's greater than all of that and he gave him as the head over all he gave him as the husband to the church he gave him to the church which is his body Listen to this, for, husband, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Glory to God. <laughs> so can you see how the resurrection power of God, and as he gave us to be married to Christ, Romans chapter 7, that uh, the old husband has died so that we can be married to another, even to Christ, the resurrected one. And that we can become one flesh with him. So that our flesh can be healed from sin in the flesh. And death itself. So that we can share in the fullness of God. That's the kingdom of God starting to work in you. And once that fully manifests and full glorification. Then we will in that eternal immortal life reign with him. In the fullness of his kingdom right here on earth. Glory to God. Then goes on, it says, Therefore, as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. 
that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word. That he may sanctify. So what will sanctify you from death? The resurrected Christ, whom God gave as the head over you. And as he gave him as the head over you, to bring you to his life, as that life manifests in you, you are the fullness of him. As what I am, I've reached my fullness in Helena and in my children, wherein who I am is basically multiplied. In the very same way, Christ, after his resurrection, since he has a calling that he was called with, as he brings this resurrection life and immortality and life to us, we find that we are now the fullness of him. Isn't that awesome? Glory to God. He gave him, who has got power over all things, unto us. And then it says here in verse 25, uh, in verse 25 that he might sanctify and cleanse us by the washing of water, by the word. What word? Please, church, I don't have a Bible. With not the Bible. Please, not the Bible. That he might wash us by the word. What word? The message that went forth that the grave is empty. And that Jesus was raised. That is the word. Go and read it in Acts. Um, go and read it in Mark 16, the last verse there, and the Bible says, And they preached this resurrection, and God worked with the word that Jesus was raised, and confirmed the word with signs and wonders. So, he gave him unto us, and we are washed, according to Ephesians 1 here, as we have knowledge of the resurrection, and start to understand everything from the perspective of the resurrection, wherein we know our hope, where we, wherein we, uh, uh, we know the fruit that we can expect and the power wherewith that fruit will come which is the power of the resurrection wherewith he raised us or Christ from the dead that's how I mean the power whereby holiness comes to me and you is the power that raised Christ from the dead eternal life there's no way we're going to miss out on that it says that he may present it to himself a glorious church not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing but that it should be holy and without blemish for no man ever hated his own flesh but he nourishes and cherishes it even as the Lord the church for we are members of his body of his flesh and his bones now put that in your pipe and smoke it that is the gospel, my friend. That is the good news of Jesus Christ. This produces so much life in you that you're not afraid of death. You know you will live forevermore. You know that his kingdom has come to this earth and he's starting to manifest his life in you and there is no end to the advancing of his kingdom. Glory to God. The rulership is upon his shoulder. And he's the one to rule over sin and death. And you stop this, I rule over, I bind, I this. You're wasting your time. You're trying to be the Christ. Rest in him. Believe in him. And so you'll have life. Glory to God. Well, church, we can go to Acts 13. Let us, let us end off. We're running a bit over time here, but. Acts 13, let us read from verse 36 there. It says, For David, after he had served in his own generation by the will of God, fell asleep and was laid unto his fathers and saw corruption. They said David died. So he tries to tell the Jews the prom prom promise was not fulfilled in David. David died. But he whom God raised again saw no corruption. Be it known. Listen to this. Be it known therefore unto you men and brethren that through this man, which man? This man is which one? It is the one that saw no corruption. That through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins 
colon. You can see the colon there. Explaining what the forgiveness of sins is. And by Him, all that believe are justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. So what is He saying? He says, through this resurrected, resurrected Christ, where the law could not make you holy, where the law couldn't stop the fruit of the flesh in you, where the law couldn't give you eternal life, through this resurrection, resurrection, resurrected Jesus is preached unto you today the forgiveness of sins. How? By Him cleansing you through being one flesh with Him by a bodily resurrection where He's healing your flesh from death. That is what He's doing. And it says, by Him all that believe are justified from all things. We're justified from all the, this sin and death from which we could not be justified by the law of Moses. The law could not bring us forth. What he's basically saying there is, listen, be it known unto you therefore men and brethren by this man through whom the antibodies was now produced is preached unto you the deliverance from your disease, sickness, death and sins. And by him and the antibodies that he has produced, you are now justified. And what is just comes your way. And that is the life of God. Amen and amen. Well, church, thank you so much that I could minister to you today. I trust this message has blessed you. Let us just pray together. Father, thank you so much for the best message there is. The gospel. The good news of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There is so much life in this message. We feel so safe. Nothing, nothing, neither power, principality, nothing can come against us. For you are over all of that. And you've been given unto us for the purpose of washing us with the water of the word of your resurrection from where we understand all things. I stretch forth my hands to this camera just as a sign of laying my hands on people all over the world right now that's watching this message. I declare over you signs, wonders and miracles and God confirming his word of the resurrection with miracle power in you through healings and miracles that take place in your life when God confirms the word that he's got power over flesh to bring life to it, confirming what he has promised being fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Be healed and blessed in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Church, thank you so much. I would like to ask you to share this message with friends. People need to hear this. People need to hear this message. Thank you so much for sharing this message. And I want to just thank you so much for just uh, the way you've expressed your love towards me and Eliana as well and our ministry. Thank you just for who you guys are. We will then see one, one another again tomorrow as I put messages on Facebook. God bless.